everyone. How's it going? It's good to see you guys. Hey, I am Alex Gray. I'm on staff here. Um, and we're excited. It's good to see you for our second week of our dating series. So last week, Kyle kicked us off uh, with some dating myths that culture feeds us. Uh, and if you didn't see it, it was awesome. It was really helpful. So I would strongly encourage that you go back and watch it online. But tonight, I'm just going to kind of keep the train going. I'm going to give you a couple more dating myths. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to jump right in because I'm really excited about the things that we're going to get to pick apart tonight. But a little bit about me before we do, because I think it'll be a little bit helpful um, with context for some of the things that I'm going to say. So I came to college, came to school here at Mizzou in 2009, uh, and I became a Christian in my freshman year of college. Uh, so then I dated a couple people in college. I dated a couple people after college, uh, but for the most part, for the duration of my faith, uh, I have been single. So for like 12-ish years, I would say. And so I'm in my early 30s. I'm not married, but most of my friends are, which means that I have had to wrestle with a lot of the questions um, and a lot of the feelings that come with being single in a culture that is pretty much obsessed with relationships. So that's where we're going to start tonight. We are going to start with singleness. Because for a long time, a long, long time, I bought into this myth that singleness is something to get out of. That's the message that the world sends us a lot of times. Like if you think about lots of stories that you've heard, movies, TV shows, even commercials, whatever, it, it seems to revolve a lot of times around finding a relationship. So that's like the, the resolution of the whole thing, right, is when somebody finds their person. That's the solution. That's the goal. And so the inverse of that is, is that singleness is the thing to be fixed. It's, it's the problem. In college, I, I heard this a lot, but I didn't just hear it from the culture out there. I actually heard it a lot in here, too. If I'm being honest, I heard that this kind of message maybe from the Christian culture just as much, if not more, than I did from the culture out there, from non-Christian culture. And I don't think anybody was intentional about it. Like, I'm not sure that anybody was trying to communicate it. But it just seemed like there was this assumption that marriage was sort of a given, right? It was just a matter of when it would happen. And so in college, I heard that message, and so I waited. I waited in sophomore year and junior year as all of my friends started to seriously date people. And then I waited in senior year when they got engaged. And then I waited the year after graduation when I was a bridesmaid in five of my closest friends' weddings, all in a year. And then I waited in the years since as they've settled into those marriages and they've bought houses and they've gotten dogs and they've started having kids. And so with every added year of waiting, I started asking more and more questions. Questions like, okay, what is wrong with me? You know, like, why isn't this happening for me? Is God trying to teach me something? Is there something I need to figure out? Why is he withholding this thing from me? Is he mad at me? Is he angry with me about something? 
what do I need to do to get out of this? What if this never changes? Like, what if this is forever? And every year, I started to feel a little bit more and more behind. I, I felt like my life was just sort of stalling out. Uh, a couple years ago, I was coming home from a trip from Denver, and I was flying alone, and I think I was stuck in the Denver airport for like nine hours. In my flight, it got delayed and delayed and delayed. I actually got on and off of two planes that never went anywhere. And it was just like an awful day all around. But singleness, it started to feel like this awful day on a giant scale. Because my life, it felt like it was in a holding pattern. While other people's lives, my friends' lives, they seemed to be taking off and going somewhere. I felt like... I was almost less mature in some ways than friends, you know? If I wasn't married, it was because something was a little amiss. People would talk about their marriage like this super transforming and edifying and humbling experience. And so I felt like the little sister that was just kind of like tagging along, who wasn't quite as old or as wise as my friends. Some of you guys, you may have heard me say this because I say it a lot. But I, I legitimately thought about my life like that board game life. Do you guys know what that is? If you don't, I'm aging myself. But it's this board game where what you do first is you get a degree from college. And then next, you get a job. And then what happens next? You get married. Literally, the game makes you stop. You cannot move on until you get this little tiny piece that means you're married. And so in my life, when that wasn't happening, it felt like I hadn't quite grown up, like, like I wasn't a full-blown adult yet. So I felt like I was falling behind, right? I felt like I was less mature. But more than anything, I just felt lonely. Like I felt really lonely a lot of the time. It was in small, small little bits, but it would happen when we would all go out to dinner and I was the extra seat. Or I'd be scrolling through Instagram and I would see that uh, like four of my married friend couples had gone on this married friend trip that I wasn't on. Or I would reach out and try to make plans and I would be reminded, sorry, it's date night. Little things, small things, but it made me feel really lonely. I don't know, maybe you're sitting here and you're single and, and you're asking some of those same questions. You're, you're feeling some of the th same things. And if you are, if you are single and you don't want to be, I just want to say I get it. Man, I, I really get it. But here's the thing. I think that culture has gotten it wrong. I really do. Legitimately, over the years, I have become convinced over a lot of prayer and tears and scripture and great conversations, hard conversations. I've been convinced that singleness, it's not something to get out of. It's, it's not something to be fixed. And here's why I say that. Check out 1 Corinthians 7 with me for a minute. Uh, in this chapter, the Apostle Paul, he is talking to the church in Corinth all about relationships. And as it turns out, this is something that the Corinthians really need advice on. So 1 Corinthians 7, 6 to 9 says, I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, one has that. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. 
But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul, he was single his whole life. And here in verse 7, he says, I I wish that all of the Corinthians were single like me. I bet they loved hearing that, right? And then he goes on and he says, well, yeah, but everybody has their own gift. As in Paul thinks of singleness as, as a particular gift. If you are like me and a lot of people I know and you're single and you want to be in a relationship, either as soon as possible or at least eventually, then this doesn't sound like a gift, or at least it's a gift that you don't want. It's kind of like that Christmas gift from your kooky aunt where you have to say, I love it, thank you, and then you stash it in your closet until you can take it to Goodwill, right? It kind of feels like that. But Paul, he's saying that this is a real gift. And if he's saying that, it's because singleness has a purpose. It has value. So pick back up in verse 32 with me. I would like you to be free from concern, Paul is saying. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests, they're divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm not saying this, or I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So he is saying that this is such a gift because it gives us time to be devoted to the Lord, to Jesus. It gives us time to get to know him. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you guys. For most of my 20s, this is not what I wanted to hear, right? Because compared to romance and affection and intimacy, undivided devotion to the Lord, it felt really lackluster. Like, it was even annoying to me sometimes because it seemed like I should be stoked about singleness because instead of sharing my life with someone, I could basically be a nun. Cool, right? Like, I'll be honest, I I still struggle. I still do with singleness sometimes. I, I struggle to see it as a gift. And I think that there will always be times, seasons of my life where I feel kind of lonely. I don't think that will go away. But over the years, I really have seen how much singleness has to offer. Because compared to my friends, I have so much time. Like, I get the freedom to do what I want when I want it. It's awesome. And I've found that when I use that time, the free time that I have for things that glorify God and honor and praise Jesus, it's actually really life-giving, kind of a blast. I'm not lying to you. Singleness, it has a lot to offer, and it can bring a lot of joy. It really has in my life, at least. Because I'm single, I've been able to do things like live in Japan for a full year. I have gotten a master's degree that I love. I've spent tons of time with college students and family and friends, and that is because I have been single. It's been a good thing. And looking back, I I wouldn't have traded any of that. I really wouldn't. 
So I don't know if I'll get married. I still hope that I will someday, and I think in all likelihood it's, it's fairly likely that I still could. But until that happens, I want to use this season. I want to enjoy this season because I think it has a lot for me. We can get stuck thinking that life is going to begin once we get into a relationship. But I'm telling you, it starts right now. It starts now. If you're single, I don't know how long you'll be single. Like, I'm not up here to tell you, you will for sure find your somebody someday. I can't guarantee that. I don't know that. But what I do know is that God has so much in store for you right now. So don't waste, don't wish away your singleness. Use it well. Spend time with your friends. Take your classes seriously. Go on trips. Find a place to volunteer. Invest in your church. Spend time praying and being in your Bible, spending time with God. You will not regret it. Okay, we need to move forward. But I could talk a lot on this. I really could because it's personal, right? So I mean it. I'm happy to chat with any of you about this at any point. Any of our staff would be happy to because we get it. I get that this is hard. I get that if you're single, it is hard to trust God's plan in this. The temptation that we have when we're single and we're tired of waiting, it's to doubt God's purpose and, and to just go ahead and find somebody, anybody, to be with. It doesn't really matter who, right? We like being around this person. They like being around us. We're sort of compatible, so let's date. And culture is happy to find that for us, that compatibility. Because in modern-day dating, compatibility is everything. Dating myth number five, compatibility is everything. Finding someone who fits us. It's kind of like the whole premise of online dating, right? Like you get to scroll and you get or swipe and you just get to see pictures and little bios and you get to ask, is this person who I want to be with? Would, be, would we be compatible? Do we have enough in common? Do I find them attractive? Do they have good style? Do they have hobbies that I like? Is their personality a good match for mine? Do they have good taste in music or do they like country music? Sorry, I knew I wasn't going to win any points there, but I just had to. I had to. So, you know. By the way, there are good and healthy ways to use dating apps. So don't hear what I'm saying, not saying. I am not bashing on dating apps. There are good ways to use it. But I think that when we use it in ways that we're just trying to find someone who gives us what we want, I think the question that we have to ask, is this, is, is this working? See, Match.com in 2008, they were asking that question, is this working? Because they noticed that their algorithms, the ones that paired people up based on their preferences, they weren't leading to successful relationships. So they hired a guy named Amarnith Tombray, this guy right here, who figured out that the issue wasn't with their algorithms, it was with the people. Because the people he was finding, he was studying their relationships, their habits, who they were clicking on, who they were matching with, and he saw that they, they didn't actually end up with the people who fit their criteria. Turns out compatibility traits like looks and interests, personality, those weren't they didn't actually end up being all that important in the long run. 
And so we think we know what we're looking for. We know what compatibility traits to look for, but turns out maybe we don't. So then what should we be looking for? Well, the Bible, the Bible is pretty clear that there is one thing that is most important when it comes to compatibility. You guys ready? 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? A yoke is like a big piece of wooden uh, equipment that you put around two animals and you tie them together to plow a field. Do you guys remember uh, field day in school, maybe? Like the three-legged race, those kind of relays? I hated, I hated the three-legged race because it just highlighted my lack of athleticism every time. I was like way too small and, and short to keep pace. I barely knew which direction we were supposed to be heading. And so I was always just a hindrance to the person, the kid, usually a huge boy, that I was paired with because we weren't equally matched. When a Christian and a non-Christian get married, it's a three-legged race, but someone is running towards Jesus and someone isn't. So this becomes an issue even in dating. Either way, you're going to either get tired or you're going to start to veer off course. So Paul says, don't start a relationship with a non-believer. If you, if you want to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, then only date people who are also actively living out a faith, actively, visibly following Jesus too. It's going to be imperfect, right? Of course. They will not be doing this perfectly, but you should be able to see them living out this faith. Sounds intense, kind of black and white, right? But don't shoot the messenger. It's, it's literally in the Bible, and it's called a non-negotiable. I can't tell you how often I have this conversation with people. You know, somebody's telling me about a guy they met, and he's great. He checks all the boxes. They get along so well. Maybe he's perfect. And then 20 minutes goes by, and then, oh, also a small thing, I don't think he's a Christian. And maybe he's spiritual. I'm not really sure, but he doesn't really go to church. This literally came up a couple nights ago uh, with a group of people that I was with. One of the girls, she was telling us about a guy that she was talking to, and we were so in, right, until she mentioned that he wasn't a Christian. And so I took a step back, and I thought about how I wanted to respond, but a friend of hers jumped in. Don't do it, she said. I just got out of a relationship with someone who wasn't following Jesus, and I can tell you, I can promise you, it's not worth it. She said, it's going to be an uphill battle. Even if they say they're a Christian, if you're not really seeing it, it's an uphill battle because you're going to either be pulling them toward their faith or you're going to be trying to push them forward. And either way, it's really exhausting. See, it's tempting to date a guy or a girl who we get along with, who we're compatible with. But if that comes at the expense of dating someone who is following Jesus, then we're just going to be settling. And Kyle said it last week, don't settle. Don't settle. The Bible, it tells us what real compatibility should look like. And first and foremost, it's a mutual love for Jesus. Beyond that, though, the, the Bible is way more flexible. It's more flexible with compatibility traits. 
And so there are definitely things that make relationships easier, that it's good to ask questions. And so we can ask questions like, do we have the same big beliefs about who God is, uh, how things began, what our purpose is here? And it's okay to ask, you know, like, are our future goals similarly aligned or are they completely opposite? It's all right to say, do we like being around each other? Do we enjoy spending time together? Are we attracted to each other? Those are wise, healthy questions for sure. However, there is one thing, there might be more, but I can think of one thing that culture says that we gotta be compatible on in relationships that is just not true. It's not true, we just don't, and that is sex. See, sex is something that culture says is just a normal part of dating. Dating myth number six, sex is a normal part of dating. It's part of the deal. And I want to clarify what I mean here by the word sex. I'm just using that as kind of an umbrella term, right? So I don't just mean the act of sex. I'm talking about being physical. So first phase, second phase, third, the whole ball diamond, right? Culture just says this is a normal part of being in a relationship. Research in the mid-2000s, it said that 95% of people surveyed in the U.S. under the age of 45 had had sex before marriage. 95%. So that is pretty normal, right? And it's not just normal, culture says, it's essential. A few years ago, 75% of people in the U.S. approved of couples living together before marriage. Most of those people said that they didn't just approve of it, they encouraged it. They said it was a valuable part of testing a relationship. Sex, it's thought to be not just a neutral thing even, but a good thing in dating. But here's what's interesting. Dr. Donna Freitas, she is a professor at Notre Dame. She did a 10-year study with U.S. college students. And she found that roughly 40% of students said that hooking up made them feel profoundly unhappy, disrespected, sad, or abused. The no one, no one, by the way, answered that it was awesome, right? The best answer that she got was fine, fine. A different study in 2005, it found that the response of college girls who had had sexual, multiple sexual partners was mostly, the response they had was mostly characterized by regret. Young women who had had multiple partners, they were 11 times more likely to have depressive symptoms than those who hadn't had sex. So why am I, so, I, why am I showing you all this research? Like, what are all these numbers about? Well, I think, I think that there is a disconnect between what is normal and what is healthy. Just because sex is a, seen as a normal part of dating doesn't mean that it should be. First Thessalonians, it talks about sex like this. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Another way that that Greek is translated of the control your own body is live with your own wife. See, sex is meant for the specific context of marriage. That's what it's meant for, but we're tempted to take it outside of that boundary. 
think about it like fire, right? Fire is a great thing. It keeps people warm, provides light. But if we take it outside of its contained boundary, it can get dangerous really, really quickly. My family, we have a cabin in southern Missouri. Uh, and last summer, we had to get rid of this giant, I mean, like, massive treehouse. So this is it on the ground. After a lot of discussion, we decided that the best thing to do was to pull it down and then make a really big bonfire. So that is what we did. You guys might be judging me right now, but this was awesome. Like, it was really, really cool. Right up until, though, I looked up, and about 30 feet up in the air, there was a tree overhanging our large bonfire. And I noticed that as the flames climbed higher, they were, they were very close to catching the bottom leaves on fire. And so our family, we scrambled to put on pre-filled buckets of water. We're not dumb. We thought this through. Pre-filled buckets of water on the fire to tame it. And we got it out just in time. But it was scary, right? Because what could have happened is it could have lit this tree on fire, and then the forest could have spread, and it could have destroyed the place that we love the most in the whole wide world. Fire is good, but it has to be contained in the right boundary. And sex is the same way. Sex is meant to stay within the boundary of marriage. So chances are, you have heard Christians tell you this before. This is probably not a huge surprise that I'm up here saying this, but I think it's worth me saying once more because every other message that we are getting in the world today says that sex has no boundaries. But I think that's a myth. It's a myth, and it's a super destructive one. See, the vast majority of us in this room, myself included, are not married, which means that we have to fight to follow God's good and healthy design for what sex should look like. We've got to be willing to do what Paul commands in 1 Corinthians six eighteen, which is flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Run from. Do everything that you have to do to avoid the things in life that make sex so enticing. And I, I know that this is really difficult, right? Like it feels almost impossible at certain points. And we are not going to do this perfectly. We're not ever, unfortunately, until Jesus returns. So there's some grace in that for sure, but we're still called to fight. So we've got to do certain things. Like we've got to cut things out of our life that normalize sex. So that might mean like you stop watching a wildly sexual TV show. Or it might mean that you unfollow certain Instagram accounts. It also might even mean that you end a relationship that you're in. Could mean that. We've also got to make changes that help us keep our good boundaries. So leave your phone in the kitchen at night so that you don't get on websites that you shouldn't be on. Or read in the morning instead of fantasizing about a relationship. Or keep your bedroom door open when your girlfriend or your boyfriend comes on over. We have to cut things out, make changes, but we also have to invite others in. We have to invite accountability from friends. And this one, this one is super uncomfortable, 100%, right? But we have to talk to them about the things that we're failing in. 
We have to give them permission to ask things like how far we're going in our relationship. See, God's design for sex, it is better than cultures, which means we need to fight hard. We need to fight hard against what the world is telling us. It's going to be worth it, but like I said, it's going to be really difficult, and we will fail, maybe often, maybe regularly. So I want to say, if you are someone who has had sex in the past or you are still continuing to have sex today, I do not, I am not saying these things to make you feel ashamed or defeated or isolated or spotlighted. I am not interested in that. And God isn't either. See, look at, look at how Jesus, how he responded to the woman in John 8 when she was caught in adultery. This is what he says to her. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Music team, you can come on back up. These verses, this verse right here, says that we are deeply loved by Jesus. That he has his arms wide open to us, no matter what our past or our present looks like. So we have the power. We have the power to confess sin and then keep fighting or maybe just start fighting sin now. That's the power of what Jesus has done and is doing in us, and we can do that together. See, in all of these myths, the answer, the truth, is in Jesus. It's in his deep and good love and care for us. So whether you're single or you're looking for someone to date or you are dating, then the things that you're looking for, the things that you want, like connection and unconditional love and affection, those are already things that you have in Jesus. You already have them. He's created us. He has sustained us our entire life. He's been with us. He listens to us. He guides us. He has died for us. He has joined in relationship with us so that we can be known and seen by the maker of all of the universe. So whether we date or we don't date, let's do it with the acknowledgement, the knowledge that we have everything we need, everything we could ever need in the one who knows us completely. We have everything we need in Jesus. Amen.